and everybody has it back again. Don't take no mess at the rose garden. Jesus, they're on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other teams can scrapple it. How they win that game today? There's just one thing you can say. How does Scotty shoot that three? Believe it, it ain't easy. How did Brian jump so sweet? Believe it, it ain't easy. It's the flying dot that's in your lap. So, Maddie, you look like you're in a hotel right now. Are you still in L.A.? I am still in L.A., yes. So, what have the last, what are we, what are we at now, four or five days since this whole GP2 thing happened? Like, what, what is, what, walk me through how it, how this whole thing unfolded from your end. Yeah, I think that the Warriors have been interested in bringing back Gary Payton II. I mean, they didn't want him to go in free agency to begin with. They just you know, said they couldn't afford to pay him at the rate that he got. Right. Um, but clearly the James Wiseman experiment was just not working. He was just taking up a roster spot. They couldn't really afford to let him play through his mistakes, which is something he clearly needed to do. Um, and it kind of seemed like the end was near, you know, in January and February, because even when he was healthy, they weren't playing him. And in November, they sent James Wiseman down to the G League to get that experience, to get the game reps he needed. Because he's only played 60 NBA games in three seasons, which is absolutely wild. Like not missed all of full... last season. Yeah, he missed all of last season. He has not even had a full NBA 82-game uh, slate yet. So it, it, it seemed like, you know, Wiseman was, would be in a better position if he was for a team that is focused on developing for the future. And I think the Warriors kind of recognize that they're more of a win-now mode, and they believe that, Gary, adding Gary Payton the second, somebody that is familiar with the system, has proven track record of success um, with the Warriors, would be, it's not going to save their season, but maybe it'll help them, you know, shore up that perimeter defense that's been really porous this season. Yeah, I mean, honestly, to me, the thing, before we got into all the medical stuff and the health stuff, honestly, the most illuminating thing about this trade was just the James Wiseman part of it. And especially mm -hmm. because like, I know, because I know that at some point, I don't know really how seriously it was, but I know that at one point, a couple months ago, Portland did call the Warriors to check in about Wiseman. Like that's somebody that I think they have looked at on some level. And if you look at the Blazers roster right now, they have no seven footers on the roster outside of Yusuf Nurkic, who is injured right now. Mm -hmm. So one would think that, if they were going to do some sort of trade with each other, it might make some sense for Portland to look at Wiseman, you know, as a seven footer who's 21 and was a number two overall pick three mm -hmm. years ago or whatever. The fact that they were basically that, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure like, I don't know all the permutations of like all the ways that this different multi-team trade got kind of uh, discussed or whatever, but I'm sure there's a scenario where the Blazers could have just had James Wiseman and given them back GP two in this trade. And the fact that the Blazers instead were just like, nah, you know, we're good. We'll just take five second round picks instead of this 21-year-old former number two overall pick who plays a position that we need. Like that, to me, kind of says a lot about just where people view Wiseman at and why the Warriors basically couldn't give him away at the deadline. Even before we get into the GP2 medical stuff, that part of it just stuck out to me about the trade. Well, I feel like it's kind of been overshadowed by just the drama that happened after the deal went down with Gary Payton's 
um, physical. Mm. Like the Warriors essentially are giving up on this crown jewel of their, you know, two timeline process that they were going for. And it shows a commitment to the here and now, and they'll figure out what's going to happen down the line later. Um, they still have a couple of those kind of like they have Moody, they have Kaminga, like they still have a couple of those other guys that are kind of on the more, you know, post staff, post clay, post dream on timeline. And you have those like bridge players like Andrew Wiggins, Kevon Looney, who are still young too. Right. But it just seems like, you know, Wiseman was supposed to be a big part of it. It was a weird pick from the beginning. He doesn't really fit their situation. He's more of an offensive minded big you know, usually bigs in the warrior system are just there to help facilitate and uh, grab down rebounds, you know, like they're not usually the ones that are offering a scoring threat. And so it just, from the beginning, didn't seem like it was going to work out. The Warriors, they're still really confident that he can blossom and reach the potential that they see him being. It just wasn't going to be with Golden State, unfortunately. So So how did the, because I, you and I were talking on Friday afternoon, so about probably mm-hmm. about four, five hours maybe before the story broke. I had someone tell me that there might have been an issue with GP2's physical. And obviously, you know, if you've been following the Blazers all season, as people who are listening to this podcast have, the whole issue with GP2's core muscle and the surgery that he had in his timeline for recovery was kind of a story the whole season where originally they said he was going to be, he had this, he had the surgery in July. They said that they didn't announce the surgery till September. They said he was going to be ready to go by the start of the season, even though he was going to miss training camp. And then they just kind of kept pushing it back two weeks and then pushing it back two weeks and then pushing it back two weeks. And basically at, at one point in like mid to late December, they basically said he's cleared by the medical staff to play. It's up to just when he tells us he's going to play. And then he finally plays at the beginning of January. And then he misses a few games with an ankle thing that's unrelated mm-hmm. to the core surgery. And then he pissed pretty much. I think he missed a couple of games for like different things that are also unrelated, but he pretty much played in every game after that. And he didn't play very many minutes, but when he was on the floor, he looked exactly like the GP two that, was so important to the Warriors title team last year. He was just diving on the floor, getting steals, setting screens, just all the stuff that you would expect GP2 to do. He looked like exactly what they signed him to do. And so this just, the you know, just kind of the, you know, the underlying, there was like this whole, this has been a thing the whole year, people speculating about his health and him not, you know, being available when they thought he would and all this stuff. And so about five hours, maybe before this whole thing broke, I had someone tell me that there might have been an issue with his physical, and so I was trying to check on it. And I think I, I, I think I texted you just like, "Hey, you know, you should, you should check on this too, because you obviously know more people with the Warriors than I do. Mm-hmm. So maybe check on this." And then, uh, so Joe Cronin was scheduled. This was this was Friday, so the trade deadline was Thursday. This was Friday that Joe Cronin was scheduled to speak to reporters just for his post trade deadline press conference, which mm-hmm. they had told us the day before that the press conference was going to be on Friday at four 30. So this was known when he was going to talk, like what the schedule was and all that. So this was, this was not an impromptu press conference. It was known that he was going to talk when he ended up talking and maybe half an hour before his press conference, there was the tweet from Shams that, GP2 had failed his physical and it put the trade in jeopardy. So there was just that part of it that like, okay, now it's out there that there might be an issue with his physical. And then, 
we're sitting down in the press conference room. I'm just kind of walking through how this went from my end, and then I kind of want to hear how that day went from your end. And then, so, you know, we're sitting down in the press conference room waiting for Joe to come in. Five minutes before the Joe walks in, the story on The Athletic comes out that has the details with the stuff about the Warriors were concerned with the Blazers medical staff shooting him up with Toradol and then making him play and force and kind of pressuring him to play before he was hurt or even before he was ready to go. That came out five minutes before the press conference. And so we were all just kind of like five minutes before Joe walks into the media room. We're just kind of all looking at this and real like, what the hell is this? Like, like this is out of nowhere. We hadn't heard anything about this. And so then Joe sits down, he gives his, you know, opening statement just about, you know, just overall the trade deadline strategy. On my last episode of the podcast, I went solo. And I, for those of you who are interested in that, like I talked about kind of their overall trade deadline stuff. This was before any of this GP2 stuff actually happened, by the way. But like this, you know, he just kind of talked about just the normal, you know, trade deadline stuff. And obviously when something like this is out there and you have the GM on the podium at a press conference taking questions, it, has to be asked about right so the judgment call that i made in real time and i still think this was the right call was to just read that passage of the story to joe like the the the, the, the paragraph about the toradol shots and how they felt like the blazers were pushing him to play that the the, the paragraph of it that blew up i mm-hmm. felt like I the think most that's fair i think the most context. i felt like the most fair way to do that was to present the full context to joe of mm-hmm. what was out there to respond to and so i did that and he just looked kind of shell-shocked and was just like i literally heard about this five minutes ago before i walked in and then later on another uh reporter bill Oram from the oregonian who's been on the show before he followed up and said you know what about kind of the implications of this story or, or that, that your medical staff didn't handle this properly? And then Joe responded to that and basically said, you know, that, that quote about player safety is really important to us and we never would have pushed a guy to play before he was ready to play, which he said that. So like you've probably seen that quote before, mm-hmm. but like that happened. And then just, you know, it just... the. The whole thing was just so weird. And then I later come to find out, like, obviously over the whole weekend, I'm, you know, sending texts, making calls, trying to check on this stuff. And, you know, then ESPN reports basically the same thing as the athletic story with the Toradol shots. And then Aaron Goodwin, who is Gary Payton's agent and also Damian Lillard's agent, goes on the record with Chris Haynes and says, my client never received Toradol shots. And... So, like, now it's like, okay, this is getting messy. There's, like, a back-and-forth thing where, you know, the Warriors' side of it is still entirely through, you know, anonymous sources at different media outlets. And whereas Joe Cronin has spoken on the record about it, Aaron Goodwin has spoken on the record about it, I come to find out later, I had a couple people tell me this, and I ended up reporting it uh, on Sunday after the trade officially went through, I come to find out that the Blazers had zero heads up about any of this either from the warriors like during you know this time after they agreed to the trade but and but you know after he took the physical the warriors never called the blazers and said hey there's something up with this physical what's the deal with this and any of the media outlets that were reporting on it never called the blazers to ask for comment or to say Mm -hmm. hey it's just a heads up we're running this 
the Blazers as an organization, from the way it's been told to me, was completely blindsided by this five minutes before Joe Cronin walked in for his uh, press conference, which, I don't know, like to me, that's from either from the Warriors or from any media outlet. That's not really the right way to do something like that. But anyway, like... I mean, I never... there's two sides. There's two sides to every story, right? And right. So, yeah. Like... So I want I want to hear kind of what your what from your end how this all unfolded and, and you know yeah. your understanding of that. So I'm actually interested mm-hmm. in that. That's why I wanted to bring you on. 